0: Y'all, my, my message today is, is on the subject of awakening. Awakening. We'll talk about a little bit more about exactly what I mean by the word awakening in a moment. But it's also going to encompass a couple of things, a couple of subjects quickly that, uh, that y'all have heard me talk about really from the get-go, from the time that I came to Bemis and, and uh, even up through last week, because all of this kind of combines together, all of this kind of fuses together. Um, to, to, to into this subject that I want to talk about, which is awakening. So you're going to hear me talk about stuff like discipleship a little bit. You're going to hear me talk about you know, explaining the gospel a little bit more, like we've done a little re- fairly recently. Uh, you're going to hear me talk about revival, and you're going to hear me talk about evangelism. So don't think that I'm repeating myself. There, there actually is a reason for all this. First and foremost, church, when it comes to awakening, I need to repeat something. I need to repeat to you guys a practice or a couple of practices. That I don't ever want us to forget. And I've talked uh, very specifically on this subject before. And that is the subject of repentance. I've talked to you guys about repentance on a number of occasions. And I realize that. But I don't feel like I can talk about it enough. And I'm not talking about people who are non-Christians repenting. I'm not talking about people who are non-believers repenting. I'm talking about us as followers of Jesus. How are we repenting? Or are we repenting? Or do, do we implore this practice of repentance into our lives? Because... We're called to that, folks. There's not a single person in the sanctuary that's perfect, and I know that's that's stating the obvious. But are we practicing the beautiful art of confession and repentance? I've talked to you guys about confession before. Not just confession before God, which is absolutely wonderful, but even confession to one another when it gets really, really uncomfortable for us. That's when growth starts to happen, folks. We We start growing when we're able to admit our faults. We start growing when we're able to admit our specific faults not just to God but to other people for some reason, for some reason why? Why is it so much easier for us to confess our sins to Almighty God than it is for us to confess our sins to another human being? Shouldn't it be the opposite of the way around? Shouldn't it be easier for me to confess my sins to Judy over there than it is to bring my dirty stuff before the creator of the universe? That's just weird, isn't it? But these are Christian practices, folks. And this is where awakening occurs in one way. We will never experience a revival. We will never experience real awakening in Bemis United Methodist Church, in any church in Valdosta, Lowndes County, Georgia, United States, across the globe, unless the church gets to the point where we have to admit that we fall short as well. That sin doesn't just belong to the outside world, that it belongs to the church as well. And what happens when we're able to do that? We get healthier. We get healthier as individuals. We get healthier as churches. We get healthier as communities. And we adopt a posture to receive revival. We adopt a posture to receive this awakening that I'm talking about this morning. The other thing that I want to talk to you, the other thing I do want to mention, secondly beyond confession and repentance is, uh, is, is something I talked to you guys about early on and I've talked to you about it on several occasions and that is how the church in particular I would say the church in the in the in, in America in North America anyway has succumbed to believe and has succumbed to subsequently engage and live out a what I believe is basically a half of the gospel it's what it's what I call succumbing to a half gospel. It's a gospel that allows us to be forgiven of our sins without really calling us into any real heart change or transformation. It's a gospel that gets us our free ticket into heaven, but we don't have to be disciples. We're not called towards discipleship. That's the gospel that I'm talking about, and I've heard me preach on this on a number of occasions at this point. That is a half gospel. As wonderful as those things are, as wonderful as it is to receive the forgiveness of sins, and to receive the gift of the afterlife. That is a small, small portion of it. And that, unfortunately, is the gospel that many people learn and that many people know and they, and they live out the rest of their lives. The problem is, they're not growing. They're not growing. They're not growing individually. Their churches aren't growing. They're basically just the same people that they were prior to Jesus, prior to receiving Christ as Savior. They may not you know, commit a few of the big sins, so to speak, But they still pretty much just operate in the world the way that they operated before. Basically, we just look like everybody else when that happens. When we accept that the gospel is simply about believing and getting into heaven, we 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 basically, again, short of a few major sins in most cases, we basically just go on living like the rest of the world. And what does Scripture say about that? What does the Bible? How many times have I taught about this that the church should stand out? That the church should not look like the rest of the world. The church should not think like the rest of the world. We should stand out like a sore thumb in in culture, in the world around us. Do we? Or do we basically just look look like everybody else for the most part with a little bit of Jesus attached to it? I'm going to argue for the most part, that's how most of our churches look. That is the result of accepting half of the gospel. That is a result of accepting simply... The ideas of forgiveness and my get out of hell free card and not the call to the supernatural growing in christ likeness that actually is the remainder of the gospel. We go through our lives half asleep, folks, and here's what I'm getting at. Most of us, most people, most people, and this includes Christians, go through our lives half asleep, completely unaware of the supernatural, completely unaware of of the Holy Spirit, completely unaware of this supernatural life that's available to us through our understanding and through our acceptance of the complete and full gospel of Jesus Christ. Y'all, I have believed, and and I'm and I and I'm, I am I am not a prophet. Don't, please don't ever consider uh, think that anything that I say up here is uh, is reflective of me. Think that I'm some kind of prophet or, or future teller or, any, or or like I know the mind of God because I don't. But I have believed for two and a half years now, and I continue to believe it, that God has used this time of COVID to open up the eyes of His church. All day long, I have believed that He is calling us to repentance, that He is calling us to revival, and that He is calling us to awakening. I don't know what that looks like, but I believe it with absolutely every fiber of my being that God is calling us to wake up. God is calling us to wake up and to be His hands and to be His feet to the world around us. Our scripture that we're going to look at this morning comes out of the uh, book of Ephesians and it's, uh, it's a very, very tiny one. It's a very, very tiny one, but it's uh, comes out of uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and it's, it's, really, it's really just a portion of a verse. It's uh, Ephesians 5, 14. This is a letter that Paul wrote to uh, the church at Ephesus. And it simply says that. It says, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The message translation of the Bible puts it like this. Wake up from your sleep, climb out of your coffin, and Christ will show you the light. I want you guys to repeat this with me. This is something we're going to be using a lot in the near future. Kind of like we do the Spirit of Jesus thing at the beginning of the service. I want you all to remember and memorize this verse. And here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to say the first part, and you all are going to repeat back to me the second part. So it's going to go like this. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead. No. (laughs) Finish the sentence. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. I believe we got it, by golly. <laughs> Wake up, sleeper. What a wonderful, wonderful verse. Here's the thing, folks. When we're reading this verse in this book of Ephesians, this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, something you need to realize is this is written to a church. A lot of times I have seen this verse utilized who try to evangelize non-Christians. Here's the problem with doing that. It wasn't written to non-Christians. It was written to the church. Paul was telling the church to wake up, to rise from the dead, that Christ will shine on you. Here's another thing about the church at Ephesus. By all accounts, this was a beautiful church. By all exterior signs... This was a church that was very religious. These were a very moral, a very ethical people on the outside. They were doing all the right things. They even had all the right behavior going on. Probably the best religious church that you're going to find Paul writing to in the New Testament. They had their stuff together on the outside. Inside, they were religious. They were spiritually dead. That's why Paul writes these words. Wake up, sleepers. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. A.W. Tozer said this about the church at Ephesus. He said, get this, they were were morally good people, but they were unenlightened. They were religious, but they were unanointed. Y'all ever know people in churches like that? They were religious, but they were unanointed. It's perfectly possible, folks, and this is what Tozer writes. It's perfectly possible for a good, faithful, loyal church member or a, or a good, faithful and loyal church as a whole to be spiritually asleep. We may have all the outward signs. We may be really well-behaved people, but still be spiritually dead inside, unanointed and unawakened in a state that parallels natural sleep. Hence the call that Paul gives to the church at Ephesus and the call that he gives us today, 2,000 years later. Are we awake Are we awake, church? Have we accepted the fullness of the gospel? Are we we abiding daily in Jesus Christ? If so, here's the challenge. Wake up, sleepers. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. It's our invitation. It's beyond our invitation. It is the very purpose that we are here on earth as Christians to show people the kingdom of God on earth. Some of y'all, um, uh, Laura, do you have that that slide that's about the daily text? Can you find that one real quick? <clears throat> Some of y'all may be familiar with a, a resource called Seedbed.com. It's one that I it's one that I use um, very very frequently, and they have a lot of resources out there. And one of them is this one right here it's called the daily text and it's, it's a daily devotion that you can either read it online or you can subscribe to it and they'll send it to your email inbox and it's 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 really really good stuff it, it, it uh, most of the time it follows along it goes by one you know one book of the Bible after the next but uh, there'll be several verses there'll be a reflection on it and, and several uh, several questions and reflective type things it's, it's a really really uh, if I could recommend one one daily devotional resource that would be it But they've also got other stuff. They've got books and and CDs and tapes and and, uh, all kinds of things. But one of the resources that I ordered from them not too awful long ago um, was one that I really wanted to read because because I was aware I knew it was going to kind of cover the subject of awakening and revival, those types of things. Uh, What I didn't know at the time when I ordered this material was that the author was going to affirm all of my thoughts. He was going to affirm all of the messages that you guys have heard me preach and he affirmed the same prophetic calling for God's church to awaken in, his, in, its, in its slumber I think we're asleep maybe I'm wrong but I think we're asleep church I think the church in the, in the United States is asleep it's amazing to me it's amazing to me we talked about this Wednesday I believe it was With as many freedoms as we have guaranteed under our constitution, our secular governmental constitution, the church in America is right there and has been for a very, very long time just going downhill. Churches are emptying out. Churches are closing like crazy. You know where churches are not closing like crazy? Among countries and people who don't have those types of freedoms. Isn't that nuts? Africa. Countries in Africa. Countries in Asia. China. My gosh. You talk about being being oppressed. This is where Christianity is exploding like crazy. I would say part of that is because they're anointed. They're enlightened. They are awakened to the reality of the gospel. They don't have all these freedoms that we have. They don't have. All they have is God. Okay. They don't have all these all these luxuries that we have. All they have is their faith in God, and they're growing the church like nuts, absolute crazy. What would happen if we had that kind of faith? What would happen if we had that kind of faith? Do we have that kind of faith, or is or what is what we are experiencing a direct result of lack of faith? On page nine of the book that I'm talking about the resource that I got the author wrote this and I hope that you guys I hope that you guys have actually heard me say something similar before but he writes this he said this is the gospel of Christ this is the gospel of Jesus Christ pardon from the penalty of sin freedom from the power of sin deliverance from the grip of death and awakening to the supernatural empowerment of the holy spirit why to live powerfully for the good of others and for the glory of God, Kevin Milne. Why do we have the gospel? Why do we have what is the second half of the gospel? What goes beyond me getting into heaven and getting forgiven? Being empowered. Awakening to the supernatural empowerment of the Holy Spirit. To live powerfully. To live powerfully. For what? For the good of others. And for the glory of God. That's the second half of the gospel that I'm talking to you guys about. That's the second half of the gospel. It ain't just about me. It ain't just about my get-out-of-hell-free card. It ain't just about my forgiveness. It is about being emboldened and empowered by the supernatural reality of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God and for the love and for the good of other people. There's your second half of the gospel. What does Jesus expect of us? The author says Jesus only asks. This is all we got to do. Jesus asks only that we acknowledge our broken selves as failed sinners. Check. Check. Trust Him as our Savior and follow Him as our Lord. Following Jesus doesn't mean an easy life, he writes. It does lead, however, to a life of purpose and a life of power. Joy in the face of suffering and profound, even world-changing love for God and for people. That is the gospel, folks, in just a few short sentences all day long. Anything I've ever pre- preached to you guys about what the gospel is, what the good news of Jesus is, is summed up right there in those three or four however much, however much it is. It includes, of course, that assurance for the afterlife. But it's far more than an eternal fire insurance policy. It's not about health and wealth, which many people try to sell you out there. It's not a self-help program, which many people try to sell you out there. And it is not a simple set of ethics and morals that are void of any kind of supernatural power. Although ethics and morals are important, the gospel is nothing less than the manifestation of the kingdom of God on earth. How many times have I talked to you guys about that? It is nothing less than the reality of the kingdom of God coming, being on earth through what? Through his church, through me, and through you across the globe. What does it mean to be awakened? What does it mean to be awakened? I'm going to let the author of that resource I told you about answer that question. He says, awakening is the transformational process, and it is the outcome. It is the outcome of following Jesus. It is a personal, communal, and a societal movement from darkness to light, from death to life, from chaos to order, from despair to joy, from anxiety to peace, and from brokenness to wholeness. My gosh, how beautiful. It starts with you and me. It starts with you and me and it flows out. It moves out into our homes. It moves out into our churches. It moves out into our entire communities. My prayer, and I hope that most of you in this sanctuary have at bare minimum been awakened to that first half of the gospel that I talked to you guys about. The reality of Jesus being your Savior and Lord. The reality of being reconciled to God. The reality of being forgiven of your sins. That type. I hope and pray that each person here has already come to that point. Has already received that. Don't get stopped there. And don't get bogged down like so many people do. Like so many churches do. This thing starts with us. This whole awakening starts with us. And it comes when we are constantly moved towards that idea. That big church word that I've talked to you guys about so many times, it happens when we start moving towards that idea of sanctification. Sanctification, growing in Christ's likeness, allowing God, simply allowing. It's not by my own effort, folks. I don't get sanctified. I don't grow in Christ likeness because of my effort. It's all about learning to submit and yield to God who wants to give us this Anyway. God wants this to happen. He wants us to grow into the image of Christ. It's just what that big word sanctification means. And that's where it starts. That's where the awakening starts happening. We begin experiencing. Has anybody ever experienced this? This supernatural transformation? Because there's no other word for it in my opinion. When we're growing in Christ, truly, when our hearts, we can talk about outward behavior all day long, but when our hearts and our minds start being transformed, folks, that is a supernatural occurrence all day long. I hope and I pray that many of you guys have experienced that. I hope and I pray no matter how old you are, that you are continuing to experience that. Don't you, if so, don't you want somebody else to have that? Don't you want somebody else out there to to experience this, this beautiful growth, this beautiful transformation? that you've experienced as well, because that's where it happens. That's where awakening happens, folks. When we experience this supernatural transformation, our churches, our individuals experience revival, which extends to our neighborhoods, to our communities, and even further in. Nowhere, 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 nowhere in the New Testament are you going to find Paul or Jesus or James, or Timothy, or Peter, or any of these other guys calling us to a passive Christianity. Go out, get saved, pop into church every now and then, you're good. Nobody says that. Nobody. It is a supernatural call to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ for the glory of God, and for what? I just said it. For the good of the world, for the good of humanity, for the good of the kingdom of God. Here's what faith looks like in the New Testament. Here's what faith looks like in the New Testament. The author of Hebrews writes this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance. Let us run with perseverance. The race that's marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him... The For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Think about that sentence for a second. For the joy set before him, Christ went to the cross, scorning its shame. He sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. That doesn't sound like to me like a dry, empty, passive religion to me. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3, instructs the church at Colossians. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set set your heart on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died. What a powerful little statement, right there. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That does not sound like a simple belief system to me. That does not sound like a simple, I'm saved and uh, I'm forgiven. I'm going to pop into church every now and then type sentence to me. That sounds like somebody who's excited about the kingdom of God and wants to share it with other people. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live out your lives in Him. Rooted, built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Church, those do not sound like passive, supernaturally void religions to me. Those sounds like statements of power. Those sounds like supernatural calls for us to embrace this beautiful kingdom, this beautiful way of being that God offers. This sounds like revival to me. This sounds like awakening to me. Why do we settle for less? Why do we settle for less? Why do we want to settle for anything less than the supernatural power, the supernatural love that's offered to us simply through following Jesus? That's all we got to do. Simply following Christ, abiding in Christ, allowing Christ, allowing God to do what He wants to do in us. Quit getting in God's way. This is where we experience it. Revival, awakening. It starts and it extends into everywhere, folks. It starts with you, me, and what I say, it goes into our families, to our churches, to our neighborhoods. I think this is an opportunity for us. And again, I'll go back to what I said about two and a half years ago when the, when the whole pandemic started. <clears throat> Kevin, y'all can come up if you want to, brother. <clears throat> I think the church, I think Bemis United Methodist Church, I think the church period in the U.S., the, per, the church globally has an awesome opportunity still as we enter into what we're calling the post-COVID period. We have have an opportunity to God's call to awakening here, to a real awakening, to a real revival. Are we going to accept that call? Are we going to accept that call, or are we going to continue to do church the way we have done church for 10, 20, 30, 40 years? Arriving here on Sunday morning, not really expecting any kind of real change, not really expecting anything to happen, just kind of holding down a church pew. Are we going to accept this call to a true revival? Are we going to wake up sleepers? Are we going to rise from the dead and let Christ shine on us? That's what we're called to. And that's the awakening that we're talking about. That's the opportunity that we have. This, uh, this, This opportunity to be reinvigorated. If you've ever been invigorated at all. To be reinvigorated for the gospel. To be reinvigorated for people. For evangelism. For outreach. For growth in Christ's likeness. To build communities, to create and build a culture within our church. Now I am talking specifically about Bemis United Methodist. Time is rife to build a culture inside of our church that is grounded in authentic worship and discipleship to Jesus Christ and service to God and to one another. There has probably never been a time in the history, not in my life history anyway, where the situation has been more rife for church cultures to change, for church cultures to stop being stagnant. I'm going to tell you something, folks. People are hungry for realness. People are hungry for authenticity. You know what I experienced out there yesterday? People are hungry for the same thing everybody in here is hungry for. They're hungry for love. There's one thing every human being has got in common. Every human being that's ever existed from time to now and ever will exist wants to be loved. We've got the greatest lover that has ever existed in Jesus Christ. We've got that to offer. We've got ourselves to offer. This is the time, I believe. And I may be wrong. God may tell me I'm wrong one day. But the time is rife for this. What kind of church culture do we want? And every church has one, Bemis. What kind of church culture do we want? Do we want a church that's alive? Do we want a church that is awakened? Do we want a church that's maybe even, God forbid, willing to change a little bit and try some new things to reach people outside the church? Are we willing to do that? And Do we want to do that? Gosh, I hope your answer is yes. I hope your answer is yes because now is the time. The time, the time for sitting, and that's not, you know, that's not why I got into ministry. And I told you guys that along several weeks ago. I didn't, I didn't get into ministry to hold down a church pew and, and, and to prop up institutions. Because I believe the kingdom of God is real. I believe the Holy Spirit is real. I believe the supernatural is real. I believe we have a great, great, beautiful calling. Are we going to respond to it, church?